Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're glad you're watching online. Those of you who are watching online, we do that every week. and We'll keep doing it. We're glad you're with us. And those of you who are here in person, it's good to have someone here while I speak. So often it's just been me, and I'm glad to have you with us. If you've got preschoolers with you, uh, we'd, uh, we'll do some more things for them in the future. But uh, I don't mind screaming preschoolers. I sort of mind screaming adults and, and youth. I'll just that that's kind of bothers me, but the preschoolers won't. They won't bother me at all. And um, it's Father's Day, and you fathers, we're glad you're here, and I hope you'll have just a great, great day. We're honored to be able to share this uh, day with you, and thanks for being with us. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to First Kings 18 and and hold it open because I'm going to give you a principle. We're going to talk on the subject: How long will you waver? I'll give you a principle, and then. I'll read some scripture and then a principle and some scripture. So if you'll just hold it open. So this week we're going to look at 1 Kings 18, chapter 18, the story, maybe the highlight in some ways of the life of Elijah. But chapter 19, next week we'll look at, is the um, verse that's been, the chapter has been most meaningful for me in many ways. A very important passage God's used in my life a lot. And so I hope you can join us again next week online or in person as we look at that chapter as well. So. 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to look at this story as I talk about how long will you waver. When I was a boy, we went on a vacation one time to the mountains of Colorado, and the mountains in Colorado are bigger than the mountains in Illinois, if you didn't know that. And we got to a place, we, some, some place there, uh, we stopped the car, and we were right on the Continental Divide. And so I asked my parents what the Continental Divide was, and they told me that that's kind of the watershed so that if, if it's raining, it falls on one side, that water will end up in the Pacific, and if it falls on the other side, it will eventually end up in the Atlantic. And so being a boy, I did probably what a lot of boys will do, I, I spit on one side knowing that that spittle would end up eventually in the Pacific, and I spit, I spat, spitted on the something on the other side, and that spittle will end up in the Atlantic, which, uh, by the way, may deter you from wanting to swim in the ocean for a while. I don't know. I've, I've often thought, as some boys do, I thought many times how I'm really thankful my wife did not know me when I was that age. That was probably better for us. But that continental divide is a sense in which, you know, one side, just a, little, just a small little difference, just one side or the other has such a long effect. One path or the other leads in very different directions. And I want to talk with you about a subject, how long will you waver? Because some of you are here, like many, like many of us, we just put a, try to put a foot in faith and a foot in the world, put a foot in the world and a foot in the world of faith, and we waver between two opinions. And so I want to talk with you about what this looks like. And so let's pick up the story in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. The principle I want you to get is this, faith demands a choice. Faith demands a choice. And we're going to read just two verses there to begin with. Keep your Bibles open. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 20. I'm going to read two verses. Ahab's the wicked king of Israel. And Israel has been wavering for a long time between two opinions. On the one hand, they say we're going to follow God. On the other hand, they are following the prophets of Baal and Asherah. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And, and Ahab is leading them down this path of wickedness. And so let's pick up the story now. As we see this principle, faith demands a choice. The Bible says, so Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets on Mount Carmel. And then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver? This is a great question. How long will you waver 
between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Now, I want you to note that God calls us, faith demands of us a choice. We get on one side or the other. We follow one path or the other. And we find ourselves very often trying to waver between two opinions. Can I just point out some things about wavering? It's ineffective, first of all, just ineffective. We can never have the kind of life God wants us to have if we're constantly wavering between two opinions, a foot in the world and a foot in faith. Wavering, secondly, is inconsistent. It's inconsistent for us, those of us who name the name of Christ, to say Jesus is Lord, and then we don't live as though he's Lord. We say it with our lips, Jesus is Lord, but our life doesn't show that Jesus is Lord. There's an inconsistency when we waver between two opinions. And note that wavering is far too common. It's far too common. Many of us know something about this, don't we? I know something about this world myself. It's easy for us to waver between two opinions. So I gave my life to Christ when I was very young. When I was a, a boy, I came to realize that I was a sinner and that there were consequences to, to my sins. I was under conviction of sin. I repented of my sins. I trusted Christ who died for me and rose from the grave for me as my savior. I gave my life to Christ. I received him as my savior. And I'm very thankful for that. And I love to see people give their life to Christ at an early age. That's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But over the years, I began to waver between two opinions. Some of you know this world. I waver between two opinions. What will, you know, I know what God says and I know what the world says. And I would waver. I would. So my senior year in high school, my first year of college, I really began this battle within. Though I had trusted Christ as Savior, and those of you who have given, those of you who gave your life to Christ when you were young, you may understand this some. There's this, there's still a sense in which we need sort of an adult decision. Whereas an adult, we have to make a decision about faith and we have to sort of say, is this just my parents' faith or is this my faith? And so I began this battle in my soul, which way am I going to go How, as I was wavering between two opinions. One of my well-meaning Christian friends, my freshman year in college, said this to me. He said, Doug, it doesn't really matter. He said, the Christian life is the best way to live anyway, and so just live the life. And, and listen, I know he meant well, and there's truth to that. There's a lot of truth to the fact that God's way is the best way. I've seen that with my own eyes. I commend that to you, that you follow God's way instead of the world's way. I've seen the results of going the world's way. I've seen the results of going God's way. I want to commend it to you. It's one of the evidences even that we know the truth of who God is, but I, I, I just, I'm not wired that way. And so I came to this maxim in my life. I said, on the one hand, if God, if Jesus is not the son of God and Jesus is not the only way to, to the father, and if the Bible is not true, I'm not going to live as though it is. But there's another side to that. I said, if Jesus really is the son of God, if he is who he says he is, if he is the means by which sinful man can reach holy God, if he can forgive my sins and change my soul, if the Bible is really the word of God, I'm not going to live as though it's not true. And I tell you, that was an important step in my life. And I'm not, I've tried to follow the Lord since then, not I'm, in an imperfect way, I've tried to follow the Lord. And sometimes I still find myself wavering in a way but the Lord has reminded me from, that was a point where I was saying, it was really a continental divide in my life in a sense when I said, I want to follow God's way. I want to, 
I want to stop pretending, trying to keep a foot on both sides of the divide, and I want to go God's way instead of the world's way. Faith demands a choice. There's a second thing I want you to note with me this morning, second principle, and that is false gods fail. False gods fail. Now let's go back to the text. And the subsequent, in the verses that follow, Elijah says, hey, let's do this. Let's have a little contest between the prophets of Baal and Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. You let the prophets of Baal, 450 guys, you let them all call on the name of their God, I'll call on the name of the Lord, and whoever answers by fire, that's who, that'll be evidence that that's the Lord. And the people said, great. So let's pick up the story now in verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light it on fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, he said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But, note, note this, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. There was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. They were following the wrong God, little g. At the time of greatest need in their life, they found out they had the, the wrong goals, what they were living for, what they were seeking, what they wanted, the wrong God, the wrong goals. And if you get on the wrong path, it leads somewhere. The path you're on right now is leading somewhere. And if you get on the wrong path, it's going to lead somewhere. And so they spent their life going in the wrong direction at the time of greatest need. They find, they find there's no one, they don't have a God who cares. They don't, there's not someone listening. There's not, they don't have someone who cares. No one answered. No sound. No one paid attention. It's sort of like the story Jesus tells about the man who built a house on a rock and a man who built his house on a sand and the Storms came to both. By the way, if you live in this world, this world has fallen. Storms are going to come. You follow the Lord, storms will still come. Whether you follow the Lord or not, in this broken world, there are going to be problems and difficulties and dangers. And all of that happens because this is a world that's been affected by sin and it's a broken world. And so bad things are going to happen in this world as long as we live because it's a world that has been broken by sin itself. People are broken. Our world is broken, whether you follow the Lord or not. But it reveals in those difficult moments when the storms come, it shows something about the foundation of your life. Can I just say a word to you fathers? I want you to, I want you to help your children build on a firm foundation. The world's not going to help you with this. The world is not going to help you with this. They're going to say, live for pleasure. Make that the goal of your life. Live for yourself. Make yourself the God with a little g. Live for yourself. What's in it for me? That's what the world is saying to your children right now. Live for yourself. What can you get? All that matters is how many things you have. If you could just gain material wealth, that's the goal of life. That's what the world is saying. You help them build on a solid foundation because I'm telling you the storms of life are coming. They're coming. They always do. 
and it shows something of the foundation of life. And if you build on the wrong, on the wrong foundation, the Bible reminds us at those greatest moments, false gods fail. You know, Mount Carmel in Israel is a fascinating place. It's a mountain, Mount Carmel. Uh, you know, maybe not the size of some of the Colorado mountains, but bigger than any of the mountains we have here. And, and so, you know, it's a mountain. And on the top of that mountain is a statue of Elijah. I mean, I don't know what Elijah looked like. I don't guess they do either, but they make him look a little bit like a wild man. And I think that's probably maybe some accuracy to it. I don't know, but he just looks a little wild. He's got the, you know, he's on top of the mountain. And there's a, like an, uh, a place you can go, climb up some steps, like an observatory thing. And you look, at, you look out from Mount Carmel, you look out over a vast uh, valley. It's huge. As far as you can see. You know, a clear day. You see just miles and miles and miles and miles. And there's this giant valley called the Valley of Megiddo. Megiddo is this giant valley. And you can look from there and see much of the history of Israel. You can see... That's where Elijah went down to the brook uh, later in the story. That's, I mean, just a lot of, you can see a lot of the cities of Israel. You see a lot of the events that happened. You can see what happened from that vantage point. You can look at all the history. This is what happened in those spots. And, of course, you can see what's happening right then. The day I was there, the last time I was there, there, was, uh, uh, there were planes flying. Israel takes security really seriously, and there's some jets flying. But it's one of the unusual spots in the world in that it's one of the few places where you can also see, as you look at that valley, you can know what is going to happen there. Because that valley is talked about in the book of Revelation. It's called Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. And so we know that's going to be this terrible battle at the end of time itself. This great war is going to take place there. You can see the past. You can see the present. And you can picture the future. Now, I don't know what's going to happen for you. I don't know what your future holds. I'll just tell you this. I know this. If you build on the wrong foundation, I could just tell you, under the authority of God's word, your house will not stand. It will not stand. And the Lord who knows your past and everything about it, the Lord who knows who you are right now in the present and everything there is to know about you is the God who knows the future for you. And he's reminding you through the story to build on a firm foundation. And he's pointing out that false, and the greatest time of need, false, God, false gods fail. There's a third principle I'd like you to note with me. And that is the Lord provides victory. The Lord provides victory. That's really at the heart of this great story, the victory that God will give through Elijah for the people of Israel, for us in this generation. The Lord provides victory. Let's pick up the story in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him, and then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. By the way, it had been a long, terrible drought in Israel. Water was precious, but he used it in this case. Next, verse 33 says, he arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening, evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today... Let it be known that you are God in Israel. 
and that I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, I love this, when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let me note four things about the victory the Lord provides. God gives victory first despite the numbers. 450 prophets of Baal, one prophet of God. God's God's way isn't always the popular way. Did you know that? The world is not always following God's way. One of the reasons Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions is because many people are wavering between two opinions, and many people, many people are following the ways of the world. I tell you, if you want the popular way, you probably won't follow the Lord. But the Lord's way is always the right way. It's not always the popular way. It's the right way, and it's always the way that leads to victory. Secondly, note that God gives victory through worship. We live to glorify God, not ourselves. The first thing Elijah did was to repair the temple. Worship uh, failed in these days. People stopped worshiping the Lord. Now, you always worship something. They began to worship something else. If you're not worshiping the Lord, you're worshiping something, money, self, pleasure, something. But God gives victory through worship because we live to glorify God, not ourselves. The purpose of your life is not to bring glory to yourself, but to, to glorify and honor the Lord. Thirdly, God gives victory over circumstances. There were some, these were some terrible circumstances. It was a difficult time. It was a time of drought. It was a time of difficulty. People, the culture had gone the wrong way, and yet the Lord gave victory over circumstances. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are, but I do know God's bigger. I don't know what difficulty you're facing right now. I do know God's bigger than those difficulties. I'm not saying your difficulties aren't difficult, and I'm not saying your circumstances aren't challenging. I'm just saying God is bigger still, and that God is able to overcome even the, the difficulties and the struggles that you face. God's bigger than our culture. God's bigger than our problems. God's bigger than the difficulties in our nation. God's bigger than our health. God's bigger than our world. The Lord is able to handle the circumstances that we face. And note number four, God gives victory by repentance. The people had to turn back to God. We need to return to the Lord. God always calls us to repentance. He always calls us to turn from the wrong way, from the wrong path, and to turn and come back His way. And if you'll do that, God will, God will bless and honor that. God will, honor, God will bless and honor that. Uh, two days ago was Juneteenth. Juneteenth, June the 19th is a day that is celebrated now um, because of an event that happened in Texas long years ago. On that day, slaves in Texas discovered they were free. People who had been living in bondage discovered they, had, they were free. Word finally reached Galveston and then on to Texas that the slaves were no longer slaves, that those in bondage were now free. Two and a half months earlier, it had been two and a half months since the Confederate surrender at Appomattox, two and a half months. It had been two and a half years since the Emancipation Proclamation was put into law. Two and a half years. But now, finally, people discovered they were set free. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus did something about the bondage you faced. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross to die the death you deserve. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the grave, conquered sin, death, and hell to offer the victory that can be yours in Christ. 2,000 years ago. Many of you, there's some of you here who trusted Christ as Savior months ago or years ago or decades ago. And yet very often we find ourselves still living in bondage, though the Lord Jesus has set us free. And so this day, I want to say to you that question that Elijah asked so long ago, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? The Lord wants you to experience the freedom that is found in Christ. He wants you to, to overcome the bondage that comes with going this wrong direction. Sin always leads to bondage. God has a better way. I want to ask you today to discover the freedom that comes in Christ. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? And as we bow, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. If you're watching online, will you just bow your head right where you are? When I talk about how long will you waver between two opinions, some of you, you know what that's like, don't you, in your soul. You know what it's like to waver between two opinions. And I wonder if there aren't some of you here today who would say, Lord, I want to acknowledge that you were God. Not pleasure, not money, not power, not whatever, not myself, whatever I've put in your place. And I want to stop wavering between, between two opinions, having a foot in the world and a foot in faith. Lord, I want to go your way. Now, if that's you, and today you would say, I've been wavering between two opinions, but I want to begin to follow the Lord fully. With everyone with your heads bowed, would you, if that's you, would you just lift your hand up the air and put it right back down? I'm going to stop wavering. Would you do that all across this room? All right. Many of you. Online. Just right where you are at home. Just lift your hand up and put it right back down. You're saying, man, I know what it's like to waver between two opinions. And I've been trying to live with a foot in the world and a foot in faith. But the Lord, he is God. So I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop pretending. I'm going to stop pretending. And I want to, I want to live for the Lord as Lord, and I want to follow him as Lord. Some of you are here who need to get saved. You're watching online. You need to trust Christ as Savior. Would you just, right where you are today, would you just give your life to Christ? Would you repent of your sin? Would you place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you? And would you receive him as Savior? Right where you are, you can make that decision to give your life to Christ. How long will you waver between two opinions? Someday, someday. Why not this day give your life to Christ and trust him as Savior? He'll save you. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word, the power of your truth. I want to thank you for this great story in your word that reminds us of who you are. The Lord, he is God. We confess that. We acknowledge that. But we also acknowledge the weakness of our lives and how how often we find ourselves wavering between two opinions. How easy it is for us to follow the world instead uh, instead of following you. And so this day, Lord, would you help us? to follow you fully. Would you bless those this day who are committing themselves to going forward with you, those who trust you as Savior, those who follow you by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.